Welcome to the TW Sports Group podcast. I'm Tim Waring. Today we'll be speaking to Peter Prickett. Peter is an experienced football coach involved in football and futsal in various contexts over the past decade. He became a coach because he wanted to develop young players, especially exciting and creative players. This has influenced his choices of coaching courses and coaching philosophy. He believes in creating an environment that allows players to learn through practice and allows the freedom to feel. The players and the coaches need to have the opportunity to experiment with different approaches. Peter has published three books to date based on 3v3 and principles of play. Sit back and enjoy this episode with Peter Prickett. How are you going? Hi, I'm all right. How are you? Not bad at all. Great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing this morning? Not bad, thanks. Sorry, just uh, making sure everything is set up here. Seems to be all right. I, uh, yeah, bit disappointed. Bit disappointed that they messed up my delivery, but never mind. Ah. <laughs> what are you waiting on this morning? There's a pair of trainers. Uh-huh. They sent me a one size seven and one size eight and a half. Oh, no. <laughs> what a nightmare. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. So they'll have to go back. Anyway. So maybe getting sacked in the warehouse. <laughs> someone can't tell the difference. Yeah. Oh, well, well mate, I hope for, hopefully someone else out there has got the other seven and someone else got the other eight and a half. <laughs> <laughs> we'll maybe get you connected here in the podcast with our listeners. So anybody's got a what, – what trainer is it? Uh, it's just a pair of Adidas – from from go. size, I did tweet. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, straight away. Well, we'll have to go and get a, a hashtag going out. Help Peter find his other say seven Adidas trainer. <laughs> <laughs> well, here tell the listeners where about you in the country this morning. I am in West London. I'm in Ealing, West London. And what's the weather like? We've got a beautiful autumn day, blue skies and sunshine. Actually, I went when I went out earlier. It was dark and grey and wet, but it's sun's just coming out now, so it looks it looks nice and crisp now. Oh, that's good. They're they're the perfect autumn days that I love. Getting a nice walk with those leaves underneath your feet. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I'm going to take you right back. Just um, you know, your journey in football, and I'm actually. You know, the listeners are going to get a lot out of this because uh, obviously don't want to fast forward too quick. But I mean, you're published author, uh, three books out. You're a big advocate of the 3v3. And along with the football coaching, you're a big uh, supporter uh, of futsal. So, but we're going to bring it right back to when you started back in 2009, I believe. Yes, around then. Uh, close enough. And how did you get started then? And uh, was there like any coach or a mentor that inspired you back then? Well, I first got involved because I was looking for something else to do in terms of a career. So I, before then, I was involved in um, in properties mm-hmm. and property development. Um, but we had a big recession and that started in 2007 and I needed something else to do. Yeah. Uh, and someone sent me and said to me, I'll oh, go, go to do some stuff about computing and programming and there's jobs in that. And so I, I had a look at it, but it, it, I just had no interest in it. Mm-hmm. And they told me how long it would take and how much it would cost and so on. And then 
I happened to be watching Soccer AM, mm-hmm. and one of the, the presenters was doing their FA Level 1, and they did a, a feature about it. And I sat and I thought to myself, if they'd said to me the same amount of money and the same amount of time for my coaching qualifications as they'd said to me for the computing stuff, would I do it? And I said yes to myself. So I decided, right, let's go give this a go. And someone I went to school with was working with Rachel Yankee, former England women's international, mm-hmm. and said she she's running a grassroots club. Mm-hmm. Give her a call. Here's her number. She's looking for volunteers. So that's what I did. I uh, did my level one as soon as possible. Uh, very quickly did my level two there. And she said to me, well, I've got these, this session. Would you like to do it? And then one session turns into two sessions, turns into uh, we've got this school. Do you want to come and do some work at the school? Turns into you're now going to be the lead coach at the school. Brilliant. So, yeah, that's, that's how I got into it. And um, Rachel was a real big help to me at, at the time. That's fantastic. And isn't it funny how things in life sometimes shape your future career? Because I'm similar to yourself, uh, going back in, what year would it be? Maybe 2005, I was made redundant. I worked in the travel industry and things were changing a lot in travel. And it's one of those ones where you sort of sit down, reflect and think, well, I've always been doing coaching as a hobby. Is there any way I could make it as a career? And I thought, I'll start up um a, a coaching business and see how it goes i thought to myself well what's the worst can happen i've just lost my job so i've got nothing to feel and um it's, it's amazing how things in life can just shape your whole direction and your career so um tell us tell us more about rachel then what was she like to work with and and learn from uh she she uh, she's brilliant at working with the young kids especially mm-hmm. um not to say stop great at working with adults nowadays but um i don't know if people remember she she did a show called soccer pups or something like that on, on the bbc oh yeah 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 and, and what she was like on that show was pretty much what she was like with the kids when you saw them so her attitude and demeanor with the kids was great and that was something to to pick up on and then just as little tips and then things that stick with you, all the, the no lines, the ball each as much as possible, all that sort of thing. And to get those little tips right at the start really helped. Yeah, yeah. And I love that. It's uh, always something that sticks in my head. The, the three L's to avoid, the laps, the line draws, and the lectures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so and but some people don't get that until six months, a year, even longer into their coaching experience. And I, I was lucky enough to get it straight away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I felt like that gave me a bit of a head start. I think on, on some others. Fantastic. And and what, what you know was it nice just to do a mix of different coaching in terms of working with different ages, different abilities, the school program, or was there an area that you preferred? Um, I mean, working in schools is always challenging. It's probably the most challenging environment to work in mm-hmm. because generally if you're working in a, 
even an after school club versus an actual class lesson after school club most of the time the majority of the kids want to be there mm-hmm. to the point where even if what you deliver isn't great they're still likely to come back next time because they actually want to be at, at the at the session yeah pe is a very very different thing where they don't necessarily want to be there they literally have to be there (laughs) and that creates a different environment so the challenge there is to be as engaging to as many of them as possible Mm -hmm. hopefully all of them but if you you know you can't always guarantee that Mm -hmm. and that really i think helped with my other sessions because my emphasis sort of became on how do we get as many people involved as possible? How can we catch all of them? Where's the differentiation going to occur? What sort of activity gives everyone a chance to have some sort of success and also allows us to tweak it to make it more difficult or less difficult while not changing the whole thing for everyone. Mm. So most challenging environment and remains the most challenging environment is delivering school sessions especially PE yeah but that's that's really really helped having that experience though yeah was that it helps you to to be able to adapt as you say and it is it is difficult because you're working with boys you're working with girls you're working with maybe different abilities and as you quite rightly say different even interests you know some um that they want to be there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I find uh, with the coaching qualifications itself, I mean, you had said there you've done your level one and then your level two, and you've also done then your youth module awards then. Yeah, at, uh, I can't remember what point it was. It was two or three years, maybe, maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. after doing the level two, where it was like coming to a bit of a crossroads and, it was kind of a choice of going UA for B or down the youth route. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I work mostly with kids. Yeah. So let's go down the youth award mm-hmm. route um, and stuck with that. And I still haven't actually done the football UA for B. Really? I've gone all, I've gone all around it. I've got two different level threes. I've gone and done a master's but I've still not done the football UA for B because I'm not entirely sure how relevant it is to my learning now. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to go and become an academy coach, it would obviously be incredibly relevant as a qualification. Yeah. But I don't, I'm not particularly worried about doing that. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've left it for now. I may yeah. pick it up in the future, but it's that's not been a priority to me. And and tell the listeners, you know, what you felt uh, your 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 coaching uh, courses that you did with the English FA. You know, how did you find that? You know, your your tutors and the actual content of each of the courses. Uh, level one and level two was there quite a long time ago now, so though I. Those courses that now look completely different to, mm. to when I did them. Um, the best courses that I've done 
and a lot of people agree with us that the youth awards as they stood before mm -hmm. they were taken into the level one and level two many people think those are the best courses that they've done mm -hmm. and i i would be amongst that though i'd put the futsal ua for b very very close yeah and one of the big reasons for that being that the people actually delivering that course, uh, in essence, the the England national team staff, mm -hmm. you won't get that on a football course. Mm. You just won't. So in terms of an experience, that was fantastic. And it was a great bunch of people working together as well. I was on the pilot course for that as well. So that, that also made it dif a difference. So, the youth awards hard to split them. Mm -hmm. um, probably mod one was the best of them, mm -hmm. and then mod two and three were starting to tie other things together um, in terms of uh, coaching knowledge. Yeah. And then the futsal B; those are probably the best courses I've been on. Yeah, and I think it's a great idea the way the English FA have got that, where they've they've got the courses that adapt to the age of the participant that you mainly work with because I think that was a big problem. When I was coming through doing my courses with the with Irish FA, at that stage it was prelim award, then UEFA B, then UEFA A. And although maybe at that stage I was sort of specialising with, with youth and um, maybe reserve team up to that far, I find it was all geared towards more adult, um, the, the actual qualification itself. Yeah, it was definitely but, an, an adult adult orientated pathway. Yeah, um, Fortunately, everything has now changed mm -hmm. with the coach education in, mm -hmm. in England um, in the last six months to a year. Um, what was very good and great strides that have been made, I think much of it has now been erased, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So um, we, we will see what happens. Um, I have I've seen the Playmaker course which come in as like an introduction. Mm -hmm. a pre-level one that's for an online course that's not bad actually yeah. but i've spoken to people who've done the new level one and they were very very disappointed with the lack of content mm -hmm. so let's wait and see yeah yeah and i think as well as, as you say as well that it all depends who's delivering the course as well because i suppose in one way uefa would you know, dictate what has to be covered in a course. But I find whoever's delivering the course, the individual can either make it great or just make it pretty average. I was quite fortunate when I was going through mine, I had some great coach educators that I'm still in contact with today. Um, and I think a big thing that you touched on as well is the participants that's on the course. I mean, the opportunity to, to network and uh, just learn, just even sitting down at the lunch table and the dinner table, because they are, they're, they're, they're hard going the courses. They're generally nine to nine each day when you're doing the week long course. And I remember one day I sat down at lunch and I had to pinch myself because facing me was Craig Brown, who at that stage was the Scotland national team manager. Mm -hmm. Graham Taylor, who was the former England manager that did great things at, uh, at Watford. And Aston Villa was sitting there, and then one of my own mentors, Paul Kirk, here. And, and you just think to yourself, this is absolutely amazing. You know, two national team managers, um, top local coach here, and Jake Gallagher, that was the one that was delivering my, my course, you know, that worked for many years with UEFA. But uh, I mean, the stuff that you can just actually learn away from the course itself, just through 
discussion over lunch or dinner table. Brilliant. And I see then you did then your journey then continued. So you were assistant head coach at um, Old Actonians. Have I pronounced that right? So yeah, yeah. That's when I moved on from um, volunteering with with Rachel. I moved to a, a grassroots club much closer to me, and I was I was just going to go uh, and just be a coach there because the setup was different. They actually paid the coaches, so you're not a volunteer anymore. You're a paid coach, but the fees are slightly higher. Uh, but the idea is we don't have to rely on the parent volunteer coach. We have a slightly more um, dispassionate, in a way, coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and also one who's already got the qualifications in place, so should have more experience. Yeah. Uh, I I decided to go there uh, just to be a coach, but... Um, I did, while doing my trial session, um, it happened to be that the head coach at the time was someone I had done one of my coaching qualifications with. So okay. as you say, it's those connections. Mm-hmm. Um, during that first session, the club secretary comes to me and says, the current head coach and assistant head coach have just told me they're leaving. Um, the head coach has said to recommend you for one of those roles. So, Straight away, I was asked to do it. I was just gone in to be an an age group coach, so I became assistant head coach straight almost immediately. I did that for about three seasons before then becoming the head coach, which I did for a further three seasons. Then last season, I just took my age group and. I have supposedly now left the club completely as I took my my team through to under 18, but the replacement head coach left in the summer and they asked me for help recruiting a new head coach and recruiting more coaches. So I'm I'm still involved at the moment, mm-hmm. even though I tried to escape. <laughs> uh, I, no, think, don't get I, away. I think everything is more or less settled. And I, I'm I can walk away quite soon now, but yeah. I, I certainly didn't want to leave them in a position where they were they didn't have any you know didn't have the staff that they needed. Yeah, and I mean we've got listeners you know that would from all over Europe and, and further afield, and they'll probably find this quite interesting because it's it's quite an English like a UK Ireland thing that sometimes the same coach will stay with the same age group and move right the way up, whereas in yeah. other places across Europe, they, they tend to say, well, you're a coach that will work in between sort of U8 and U10, mm. and then the kids move up, the coach remains. So it's quite interesting, I suppose, to talk a wee bit about that that you moved up with the group and maybe also. At the level um, of the players that were playing, how often did the train and what was the duration of the sessions? Uh, so because it was grassroots, and we didn't have too many options with regards training. I mean, my, we had one two-hour session per week. Mm-hmm. My argument was always that that's too long mm-hmm. and we would be better off doing two one-hour sessions than two two-hour sessions. Mm-hmm. But it never took it never took off, never happened. So we just went along with, with what we had. Mm. I still believe that 
two one-hour sessions is better than one two-hour session because it helps the players to feel like they belong. Yeah. Rather than, like, see, what I come across is the situation where the kids and the parents still attach greater importance to playing for their school team mm-hmm. than playing for their grassroots club. Mm-hmm. Where, I, where in my actual experiences, having been to multiple schools and watched what the science teacher or history teacher is delivering, there are some, well, crimes against football being delivered. And I just think, you think that this environment is more important than what you get at your grassroots club. Mm. And there's something wrong there. Mm. But it's because they're, they're there every day. They're literally in school every single day. So they feel a bit more of an attachment, whereas their grassroots team is often it's just something they want to go and do with their friends, which which is fine as long as everyone understands that context. Yeah. And I've, I've seen some very good coaches struggle to understand that context and deliver or pitch too high mm-hmm. and the kids aren't actually interested. They just want to play. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Was it? I mean, uh, that's what I love about this podcast is like you know bringing different guests on from different regions in the world and sort of hearing like you know issues and problems that they have in their own country and maybe how they deliver things slightly different. It's 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 great educational too. Yeah. And, uh, sorry. And soon after that, you got involved then in, in futsal. So how did that come about? Did you always have an interest in futsal? Did you play yourself? I had a curiosity about futsal. Mm-hmm. Um, that stemmed from Juninho yeah. when he came to Middlesbrough. Um, and I remember reading these various articles about that he grew up playing futsal and um, him trying to set up these little mini futsal academies uh, as well in, in the area uh, up in, in Middlesbrough. And then there was hardly any other way to find any information about it so Mm. i just relied on bits from shoot magazine and match and so on Um, then years later obviously the internet was became a much more efficient and effective thing and i was able to find out a bit more um and i noticed that there was a course available an introduction to to futsal not that far away from me that i was thinking about and um, again, someone who I was on a coaching course was thinking about going, uh, and we both decided to go on the course. And that, that, when we got there, we were told they've just changed the introduction to futsal into level one. Mm-hmm. So, congratulations, you've now got the futsal level one. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Okay. <laughs> the next thing was saying, talking to the same person. Um, looking at level two and it was at St George's Park and the conversation was have you ever been to St George's Park no I haven't have you no shall we go mm-hmm. so we went to St George's Park to do the course kind of as a treat to to see what it was like there mm-hmm. and again satisfy a bit more of that curiosity but and at this stage I'd started to adapt some of my indoor football sessions into futsal just yeah 
be- purely because the, the footballs were bouncing up around the kids' heads and you know, it was it became a real scrap mm-hmm. at times. So, right, I'm just going to get a futsal ball. Mm-hmm. And it was a much better session indoors with the futsal ball, but it's lack of bounce helping to actually play rather than fight. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, suddenly level two qualified. Great. I then got an email from the FA saying... We are launching our pilot UA for B. Are you interested? Mm-hmm. And by then, I was working uh, with someone else who was very had been very involved in futsal. And I said to them, "Is it? Do you think it's worth doing it?" And they said, "Yes, they're going to do the course as well." So we ended up travelling up and down to St George's Park once a month for eight months with each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah, before I realised that I, I was on that UA for B path, had the qualification, well, became one of the first coaches in England to get the qualification, that um, I was allowed on it with no team. I didn't have a team. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons I was invited was because at the time, the criteria were you had to have a youth award. Right. And there are a lot of people who were invited on and didn't have their youth award, but they were coaching teams. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was the other way around. I had all of the pre-qualifications. I just didn't have a team. Mm-hmm. So while I was on the course, that's when I got offered my first bit of work with Brentford FC Community Trust because they needed a futsal coach. Right. So I started to get involved there. There's a, a local club called Chiswick Futsal who had just started up, I got in touch with them, started doing some coaching there. And it, it, like you said at the very beginning, things just start to, to grow mm-hmm. when you ask questions and make connections. Mm-hmm. Opportunities can arise. And that's kind of what happened, especially with the futsal. Yeah, fantastic. And, and tell us more then about the... Uh position that you held at Brantford because I mean they're they're really going, going from strength to strength at the moment so um I'm with the, the community side of, of the club um similar to what I was doing with with Rachel Yankee football program uh, I'm in the schools uh, during the daytime mm-hmm. and then in the evenings I'm involved in development center sessions because because Brentford have no academy mm-hmm we have the a slightly different development centre to what others would have. Mm-hmm. So essentially there's no place for our players to go other than our development centre. So we have different tiers. Yeah. Um, funnily, I was talking to someone about this earlier. Like, It's not yes or no. They're, they're not trialling to be told yes or no. It's yeah. kind of more like a sorting. Yeah. So who needs to go in what section essentially and then keeping that as fluid as possible mm-hmm. to acknowledge that there will be changes and no one gets turned away. Mm. That's, that's the big factor. Yeah. Um, so I'm involved in, in that. And, um, and that's, so, so those development centers in, is that open to what, what age range would that be open to? Up to 16. 16. And from as young as, uh, we the youngest age we have year two 
So there's seven. Seven, right? Okay. And as you say, then you try to stream them based on where they currently are in their on their timeline. You know, so the stronger players or the more the more developed players at that point go to one center, then maybe the the later developers then go to another center. Is that the idea? And you just split it up in the age appropriate groups. Yeah, and then if someone is flying, mm-hmm. let's move them to the to the next challenge and see what happens. And if someone is struggling a little bit for some reason, mm-hmm. give them a chance, obviously, and try and help them. And then go, we might say, okay, we think you might need to step down mm-hmm. a level just for a little while and see what happens. And is that, are they sort of centres that are, what, once weekly are they, that the players attend? Yeah, once um, a week. Although some players choose to do two. So yeah. I know I've got um, – I do a, what we call a middle section on a Monday night and then an upper section on a Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And we have – I have players who choose to do both. So the players who are in the upper level also choose to do the middle one mm-hmm. because they enjoy the session and so on. So – and do they, would you play then sort of what friendly games then, or is it just, just coaching so, at the centre? Yeah, uh, during the school holidays, we play a, um, a set of fixtures against one or two other clubs in the area. So it could be Wickham or QPR, or, or we played Oxford, mm-hmm. various other clubs. And it's, and just, the- it's just a set of fixtures, uh, like, it could be four games, it could be six games, but all 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, no, fantastic. And in terms of the players, obviously, as you've alluded to there, Brentford, they don't have the academy in place. So do these children that attend these development centres for Brentford, do they play for other academies or local grassroots clubs? They, they play for local grassroots clubs. Yeah, excellent. Oh, that's that's really intriguing. And you then got involved then uh, with Brantford with the women um, in 2018. So uh, tell us, how did that come about? And um, I'm always intrigued to get people's thoughts on how different they see coaching women to maybe coaching men and the boys, if that was a new experience for you. Well, one of my colleagues was appointed as the manager and he just asked if I would, if I would help. Mm-hmm. So I got involved with that for a little while. Um, we weren't there for very long. There was a little bit of a clash and uh, it didn't, I'd still joke with him that I got us fired, but uh, <laughs> we, we moved on. Um, yeah, it, it is, it is different, but it's not, there's, there's challenge. You get similar challenges sometimes for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it was quite clicky. I'm not going to pretend that it wasn't, but then you get that in in men's and boys football as well. Mm-hmm. It's just, I think it can be expressed in a different way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus and the uh, methods of communication can sometimes reflect that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially the, the way... But there are ways that men talk to each other that are different from the way that men speak to women. And there are ways that women talk to each other that are different from the ways that women speak to men. And that becomes quite apparent when you are based in those environments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny, Auguste, we had on last week on the podcast, that was something that he said. He had to really think about what he was saying 
when he moved from coaching men and boys to the women he says that the women he found were more deep thinkers in terms of how he communicated so you had to be very very careful at what words he chose and what expression he would have used you know a lot more he found with women than what he did with uh, with men so it's quite quite interesting and uh yeah, from the women's one you went on the coach and manage at Ealing boys at the london youth games and uh, that was so that's one of the um the privileges i guess i've had with with brentford um for, for many years, that Brentford have helped local councils to coach and deliver um, when it comes to the London youth games. Mm-hmm. So generally, Hillingdon, Richmond uh, and Ealing, I probably missed someone there. Uh, and I was asked to do the Ealing team um, in 2017. Mm-hmm. And I've done it at every games since then. Um, we missed one because of, of COVID. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's always, been, that's been a really interesting experience. Um, been quite successful, mm-hmm. but we get, I've, I've had teams, the first team I had was packed with academy players. Yeah. So I had a couple of Spurs players, a Watford player, Crystal Palace, Fulham, uh, and we won it mm-hmm. that year. The next year, I didn't have a single academy player, but it was a really, really exciting team. And it was probably better to watch than the team the year before. Mm-hmm. Came very close to winning it. And then the next year, once again, I had a team packed with academy players. One boy had just been released by QPR, got picked up by Fulham during the tournament. And then I had another kid who was at Southampton. He warned me that he was going to miss a couple of training sessions because he was away with England and he was about to go and sign for Man City. Right. So that team lost on penalties in in the semi-final and got bronze as well. Yeah. So it's it's been really, really interesting seeing what the academy players are like Mm -hmm. and then having a team that was, in my opinion, more exciting than the team full of academy players. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also, because they went to school with each other, the the academy kids knew the non-academy kids. Mm -hmm. And there was one kid who was fantastic probably as good ability wise as these academy boys but wasn't in there yeah, yeah and he was asking me for advice like i don't know what to do how to get in there yeah what what is it? and i'm like he was really interesting because he's a brilliant dribbler but he 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 tends to get get stuck and get lost and mm-hmm. um, he needed to develop a go-to move mm-hmm like his move, so that if he was in a a 1v1 situation, he knew that was what he was looking for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it helped him, but it was really interesting that he he was comparing himself to his mates who were at this level. And he he wasn't far off of it, but he didn't know how to get there. Yeah. He was he he was a winger, so he was about fifteen, but at this fourteen fifteen at this point, so quite settled. Uh, do do you do much 
do you do much 1v1 stuff at your club? It's like, no. Like, that could be where you're getting stuck. Mm-hmm. And how's he progressing? Have you heard what, what he's doing with himself now? Unfortunately, no, I haven't. Um, mm-hmm. this is the, and that's the other thing. They get dropped into my orbit for six to eight weeks and then they disappear again. Mm-hmm. So just it's quite... Sometimes you come across some from uh, just because you're in the similar environments, but other times that's it, they're gone. Yeah, and and so that's a yearly one. So it's a, so you get them for is it like a selection process you go through, and then you've got six to eight weeks in in terms of preparing them, training, ready for the games. Yeah, we open it up to the local schools. Mm-hmm. The schools recommend a few players, and then that gets filtered down into a squad of. 10 to 12 mm-hmm. and then off we go this year it was different because um because of covid things were completely differently set up and uh, we couldn't get it out to the schools in time really mm-hmm. so we selected um from our brentford players that were eligible yeah which was another it was another interesting experience because our players are spread across three or four different boroughs. Mm-hmm. So we didn't necessarily have access to the, the best that we have at Brentford, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, whereas the team who went and won it, they had full of academy players again. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that's the, that's it is your that way for you that year and sometimes it isn't. Yeah. And what, what age group is at the end of the, the, the games? So they're year eight and nine, which is under 14. Right. Yeah, and is it 11 a side then you play then in those games? Um, no, it's five a side. Five a side. All right, okay. Fantastic. And that just, and who all's in the tournament then? Is it just all different boroughs of London, did you say? Yeah, every borough. Every, yeah. every borough. Um, normally it's at uh, Crystal Palace Sports Ground, but mm-hmm. that wasn't available. Um it's been interesting because when I started at the tournament, it was just run by London youth games. And the first couple of years, like the first year was good. The second year you could see it was getting tired. And then year three, Nike jumped in mm-hmm. and everything just went whoosh. The, the, you know, the quality of presentation mm-hmm. and equipment and everything just went massively up. Brilliant, brilliant. And looking down, I was want to come back to talk more about your books, but I'm going to touch on your last uh, coaching role, and that was uh, with women again at the Old Actonian. So you returned back to your one of your first clubs then. So um, at the time, I was still head coach of the boys' side of things, mm-hmm. and my same colleague who had been at Brentford had gone there to be the manager. And um, at the time I was doing my master's and I was doing loads of stuff at that time. Actually, I had very little time in my schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and he asked me if I could help out. Uh, initially, I said no. But then I had a few projects uh, from the master's that would I thought actually I could go in and I could use these. So I eventually got involved again um, with the club. We did pretty well, um, finished at the time it was their highest league position and won their first ever trophy in the cup. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Capital Cup, I think it was called. But I have to admit that my main motivation was I needed to do some stuff for my master's project, and this was a great opportunity to do it. Yeah. It, it happened to work out quite well. So that's amazing. Was it see that you completed your master's in the performance football coaching in 2020 then? Yes, I think that's when it was ha- eventually handed in. Uh, that that final project got heavily impacted by by COVID. Yeah. And so a lot of it was all done online. Where, where were you based then prior to COVID? Where did you do the course? Uh, look, so I did. I chose to do part-time distance learning course at St. Mary's University in Twickenham. Mm-hmm. So it, in terms of the normal course, uh, like the normal modules, it made very little difference because everything was sent out digitally and online anyway. Mm-hmm. But when it came to the final project, I was going to do a, a project on 3v3 and try and gather data mm-hmm. by filming players who actually in action, um, kind of similar to what was done uh, with the Fenoglio 4v4 project. Yeah at Manchester United, but for 3v3. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because of COVID at the time, everything was scrapped mm. and there was no one to film. Yeah. So it became more about um, the co- what coaches' perceptions of 3v3 were, which yeah. is fine. It got me through. It got the job done, but it wasn't what I wanted to do and wasn't necessarily what 3v3 needs. Yeah. So that kind of idea for a project is still sitting there and on the back burner yeah 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 and coaches listen to us whose journey has mainly been through the you know through the fa's and doing their uefa badges like what would you say to them if people haven't considered doing like a masters and then like the type of course that you've done then what way do you find it completely different from the actual physical coaching badges that coaches would do um much more theoretical mm-hmm. um much more along the road of what might be called an evidence-based approach, mm-hmm. um, which is not to say there isn't evidence-based elements within the regular coaching courses. I've, from what I have seen, there's a lot of things that are similar, but it's the, the presentation is different. Mm-hmm. So wherever the science lays within the, the regular coaching courses, it's it's almost hidden. Mm-hmm. Whereas on a, a master's on a, a, a academic course, the science and the research is at the forefront. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, I guess coaching courses are designed to influence you through people's experiences and the experiences of those who follow and enjoy football would respect. Mm -hmm. Whereas the academic stuff gets you with, this is, this is the evidence or this is a set of evidence. Make of it what you will. There might be a lot more evidence that backs this up even further. And the more evidence there is to back up a certain thing, the more convincing it may well be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And you did that over how many years? Three three years, was it? Uh, It was a two-year course, but year two sort of turned into two and a half. Mm. Oh, Brian, well, congratulations on achieving that. And now, 
the direction you want to turn the podcast in now is just based around the books that you've published in. So your first book came out in 2018 based on 3D3. Yes, indeed it did. So talk us, well, you know, what gave you the, I suppose, what, the enthusiasm and, and you know, to bring out a book number one and what brought you to bring it out based on that title and topic? Um, we were including small-sided games within a portion of our uh, our syllabus at, at Brentford, mm-hmm. um, which is not to say small-sided games are not used elsewhere, but we dedicated a, a, a chunk of it to 1v1, 2v2, 3v3, 4v4. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1v1's fine. No issues with, with going ahead on 1v1. I found 2v2 to be slightly unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it's it doesn't have merit. Of course it does. But I found it had limits, really severe limits, because the shapes and movements that you can make are limited by the number of players that you have. In essence, you can only create something that is linear. Mm. because you're two connecting points that's all you have yeah going into 3v3 you could do much more mm-hmm. because you can create your your triangles which i think are essential for for both attacking and defending yeah and then it opens up more movements overlaps for third, third man runs up back and throws and so forth the, your, your fundamentals of football gameplay mm-hmm now, at the time, I hadn't made the resources. I was looking for resources. Yeah. And all there was was Horst Vane, really. Mm-hmm. And now, Horst Vane's stuff is fantastic. Um, but I felt like it could be taken a step further. Mm-hmm. So... I felt that you could look more at these key movements and moments slightly more expressly and that's what i set out to do and i think i designed 20 something practices maybe some closer to 30 and i i just shared them on social media Mm -hmm. and they were eaten up yeah um and people said to me oh you could you could like make a an ebook or something here and i was like yeah yeah sure whatever um and then over time, I developed a bit, few more resources and wrote a few more blogs on the subjects. And I'm, I'm starting to look at it and going, I think I've got enough stuff here now that I can make a, a real book out of it. Yeah, yeah. At which point I contacted a publisher, uh, went through all the coaching books on my shelf and, and had a look at which publisher had given a go to people who didn't have a national reputation, mm-hmm. somewhat unknown, and ended up contacting Benny and Kearney, mm-hmm. pitched the idea to them, and they said yes. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, and that first book then, when you published in 2018, what was the initial feedback? And, you know, where, where, where did it sell? You know, how many countries and stuff? Um. I know, so we, we had a, a version printed in German, mm-hmm. 
um, which is really interesting because now Germany have moved, made a, a big, bold move towards 3v3 in their youth age groups and mm-hmm. they're under eight, nine age mm-hmm. groups. Yeah. So that's very, that's quite interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. But generally, I think the sales have been in English speaking countries, USA, Canada, Australia. Yeah, I was going to say, USA, I'm sure, is huge because when I've coached over there a couple of times, the 3v3 concept and tournament day play is huge in the American market. Yeah, so there have been quite a few sales. I'd still say most, the majority of sales have been UK and, and Ireland. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for, de- for definite, uh, I've got breakdowns of all that stuff yeah. somewhere. Um, but yeah, I think book one on my last report has gone over 2,000 copies sold now. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And then that give you then obviously the strength and going like, well, you know what, there's a demand here for this 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 topic and for you know the many people that we're starting to follow and gain respect. And your second book came out a year later then? Yeah, and that what happened with that one was um, I got some feedback going, this is great, this is really comprehensive. And I just thought, now there's loads of stuff I didn't put in. Mm-hmm. I've still got loads that I haven't actually didn't put in book one. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. Is there enough here to, if I make a few more uh, things and that drag in some other bits that are related? Yeah. Um, is there enough for a, a second book? And there was. The only problem with it was we. I, myself and the publisher, we probably weren't explicit enough that it's different content, yeah, rather than a volume two, yeah, or a a, a second edition, mm-hmm. so to speak. So that probably impacted the sales there. So I think that's somewhere close to eight hundred sales. So nowhere near as as many as as book number one. Yeah. Yeah. And then your your follow up book then from that was based on the principles of play in twenty twenty one. Yep, yep. That's now I think six months old as we we speak here in October, mm-hmm. um, and that one stemmed from a conversation on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, a, a strength and conditioning coach decided to ask me the question. Were there any fundamentals for football that he needed to know about? So I started ask, uh, responding with, "Well, if a, a fullback, a modern fullback, has to be in, have you know excellent stamina because of the amount of work rate they put in, defenders and strikers will may need excellent upper body strength and so on and so forth." And and he replied and went, "No, I don't. I don't mean." In those terms, I mean, actually playing the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I guess you mean the principles of play. Yeah. So I described the traditional principles that we've been taught on coaching courses for about fifty years, I reckon. Um, plus the, the two transition principles that have been recently added, and he said that's fantastic. Could you recommend a book? And I had to stop and think and go, no, (laughs) I actually can't because every book around was about the, the principles 
of the individual principles of superstar coaches. So there's a ton of books about the principles of Pep Guardiola, the mm. principles of Jose Mourinho, the principles of Jurgen Klopp, and the last two or three years, the principles of Marcelo Bielsa. Yeah. yeah. But I couldn't think of a book that was just about what would be considered the universal principles of play. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is this is actually needed, mm-hmm. especially as going back to my own experience of going on um, Youth Mod 3 and from asking about the principles of play. And I actually sat there and went, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Now, I did know. I knew them by some slightly different terminology from level two, mm-hmm. but in in England, coaches who are going on courses will not really get any real contact with the principles of play until level two, but real detail on level three. Yeah, And I just think if you're going to teach the game, or even design games that will help to teach the game, you need to know what the principles of play are because otherwise you don't know what you're teaching. Mm-hmm. So I, I then had in mind this needs to be a little handbook, like something very, very short. I was looking at 40 to 50 pages, like yeah. pick up and put down. Yeah. That didn't work for the publisher, so we ended up something like, Oh, I think it's 120 or something like that pages. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's how the, the third book came about. There was a I think there was a gap and a need for it. And yeah. I think even for the casual fan or the not so casual fan who thinks they understand what they're watching, mm-hmm. sometimes they, they don't necessarily. Yeah. And yeah not to demean their knowledge, but if they want to have a a bit of a deeper understanding, this, my book, hopefully would, would help them. Excellent. And if anybody listening here would like to get their hands on a copy of any of your books, what's the easiest way for them to go about that? Um, The easiest way nowadays is just Amazon. Just go onto Amazon, Mm -hmm. type, type my name in and up they all come. Um, that is now the easiest thing. Or I think you could probably even just type me into Google now mm-hmm. and it will come up. But Amazon is going to be the easiest way to go straight to the books. Excellent. Congratulations. Um, it has been great success, all three books. Um, did I read right? Is there a fourth one in the pipeline? There's at least a fourth one in the pipeline. Excellent. So I'm working on... I've got two, I think I've got three solid ideas sitting here. Mm -hmm. Um, I started work on one, stopped, Mm -hmm. because another idea came in and going to focus on that one. Yeah. Um, And then there is an idea for another 3v3 book, but I'm going to leave that until after the other two. Yeah. And are you giving us any spoilers or we have to wait? Um, 
I think we'll have to wait. Oh, <laughs> I can't. I can't give to give away too many spoilers there. Brilliant. And shout out your Twitter handle so people can give you a follow on Twitter if they're not already doing it. Uh, so at Peter Prickett will take you straight to me. Brilliant. It's simple as that. Super. Well, so at this stage of the podcast, we have a little weekly feature where we ask each of our guests the name their five-a-side dream team based on players of their nationality and that they've watched during their lifetime. So we're going to start off your dream team for the English five-a-side team. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so I, in goal, I've gone with Ray Clements. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think Banks and Shilton are probably slightly better goalkeepers, but we're playing five, uh, 5v5. So I'm going with Clements as slightly slightly better with his feet. Yeah. Um, I've gone with Bobby Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, not only because obviously he's the fam- famously the World Cup winning captain and all that, but actually in terms of playing with the ball at his feet, probably the best centre-back that English football has, has produced in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what these other positions are really because it's 5v5. You can go, you know, just play. Mm-hmm. Um, Glenn Hoddle. Yeah. Um, e- extraordinary footballing ability. Um, John Barnes. Mm-hmm. Um, again, an incredible, incredible player. One of the reasons I fell in love with the game was watching John Barnes mm-hmm. and Bobby Charlton. Who I think, with his ability to strike the ball with both feet, would be really, really tough to stop playing five v five. In fact, you could probably put that on Barnes and Hoddle to agree to a slightly lesser degree. Yeah, yeah, amazing. That's a, that's, a, that's a great team. Absolutely super. And now we always ask, what is your worldwide five a team? So I I've included two futsal players in my worldwide five-a-side team. Mm-hmm. So in goal, I have got Leo Higuita, mm-hmm. um, who is born in Brazil, currently playing for Kazakhstan. Um, he is the archetypal fly goalkeeper, which is when the goalkeeper comes and essentially plays as another outfield player. Yeah, yeah. He is as, as good as, an, as uh, many of his outfield teammates and has exceptional strike so as long as we're not playing with the rules where you're not allowed out the goalkeeper's not allowed outside of his penalty box <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm taking him over any football goalkeeper um, I've gone with Lothar Mateus yeah. as my designated defensive player at his peak he was far more than a defensive player box to box attacking midfielder maybe Maybe not as technically good as some of his contemporaries, but his I'm going with him for his power and energy and and versatility. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've then gone for Alfredo De Stefano. Yeah. Um, again, a, a player who can dictate the game, play and just pop up in all sorts of positions and just control the tempo. Um my more attacking players, if you could be more attacking than a player who scored as many goals as De Stefano, um, R9, uh-huh. classic, classic Ronaldo, mm-hmm. um, 
just the most incredible footwork you you will ever see. And then I've picked another futsal player, another Brazilian, which is the Brazilian Falcao, who, if you've not ever seen any clips of him playing, find them on YouTube. It, it's it's a treat. He can do some. If if Ronaldo can do incredible things with the football, Falcao can do unbelievable things with a futsal ball. Well, I have to go and have a search for him then on YouTube. That's brilliant. Two good sides. I love them. And our final question, we always ask our guests to recommend somebody that we can interview and have on the podcast on a future edition. Um, my recommendation would be to get uh, Lee Cosgrove on mm-hmm. to speak about the Sunday Share, mm-hmm. which has had great success. And I said to him, many people have tried these kind of sharing exercises but very few have made it stick and and he has so that'd be a really interesting thing to talk about okay and and tell our listeners what the sunday share is all about then um sunday share is essentially it's just a hashtag on twitter although i recently got involved a little bit myself in suggesting it gets its own pay as twitter profile Mm -hmm. um and simply put on a sunday Share a session, idea, plan, article, question with the hashtag Sunday Share. Mm-hmm. And people can see it, get involved, have a chat, share ideas, just an extra additional resource for, for the coaching community. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love that. And we'll have to get Lee then on a future episode then. So, Peter, thank you so much for your time. And uh, it's been amazing to catch up with you. And congratulations on the Masters and on all the great work uh, and the content that you share with your books, with the coaches. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. And yeah, thank, thanks very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. You're more than welcome. Take care and we we'll look forward to catching up again soon. Thanks for your time, Peter. Cheers. All the best, mate. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to Peter Prickett and thank you to everyone for listening. Please remember to subscribe to our weekly podcast and share with your friends. If you can also give us a review, it would be great. You can get in touch for a shout out by emailing tim at twsports.org. Just put podcast in the subject box. If you'd like to support the podcast and receive my weekly video training sessions, become a patron now at patreon.com forward slash twsportsgroup. You can support us from as little as £3 per month and you'll gain access to the library of training sessions. Thanks for listening. I'm Tim Waring and I'll be back next week with another episode on the TW Sports Group podcast. Speak then and take care.